Let's pray together. Hallelujah, what a Savior. God, we come to you this morning, and we come at the foot of the cross, seeing your Son and your love and your glory shine through upon us. And God, as we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that you will transform us as we experience you. So God, we pray for, for your voice to sound through the things that distract us now and give us ears to hear encouraged to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is a monstrous blasphemy. That is what one commentator said about the popular hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. Now, this was written some 50 years after the publication of the old rugged cross. But Eric Routley, who was a well-known hymnologist, which means studying hymns, he did not have great things to think about or say about the old rugged cross. He himself was a composer. He was also a minister, and he explained his comment by saying, I believe it to be wrong, misleading, and spiritually wicked to treat the cross as affectionately as that lyric does. His comments were made in 1967, 50 years after the hymn had been very popular and introduced to the public. It's a song that is, has been speaking to people for the last hundred years. It has been sung by anyone from Elvis Presley to Johnny Cash and many, many others have sung the old rugged cross. It was written by George Bernard. He began, the work on, he began working on the hymn in 1912 and, and finished it in 1913. He was at a Methodist church in Michigan. He was a native of Ohio, though, and was converted to Christ in a Salvation Army meeting. It was there that he experienced Jesus. He became a Salvation Army officer and, and later a Methodist evangelist. And he told the story of writing the song. He said that he was in a real soul struggle, that he was praying for full understanding of the cross and its plan for Christianity. And so after spending many hours in study and prayer, he finally could say, I saw the Christ of the cross as if I were seeing John 3, 16, leave the printed page, take form, and act out the meaning of redemption. These are the words that he wrote. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, 
And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to pardon and to sanctify me. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And so I pray that through our time in the Word today, we too can have a full understanding of the cross and its plan for Christianity. What is God's plan for the cross? Today we're in chapter 19 of John. We've been going through, uh, through this year, going through John chapter by chapter, and, and we finally come to this hour where Jesus is crucified on the cross. Jesus has been arrested in a garden east of Jerusalem. He's interrogated by the leadership of the Jewish high council. He is handed over to the Roman rulers and he has now been readied for crucifixion. We saw last week that it was a great tragedy story, but it was not a tragedy for Jesus. It was a tragedy for all of those who found themselves in the darkness instead of the light, who chose to reject Jesus instead of accept him, who chose to remain in the shadows, to remain in the background. And that's where the real tragedy of the story was at. In our reading, the cross can, can mean this literal wooden object, this, this execution instrument. But the cross can mean so much more. The cross, is with a capital C, is, is a symbol. Is it, it's an emblem for us. It's most, the most recognizable symbol we have in Christianity today. Many of us have jewelry pieces or, or, or crosses hanging in our homes or on stage with us every Sunday or out in the front of a church building. We see the cross in so many different places in so many different ways. And so as we look at the cross together this morning, let's read chapter 19, starting in verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him 
and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, finally, firmly, as we remember from last week, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled and said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken on the bodies and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and the, the, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing the sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it was given testimony, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by 
Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they led Jesus there. There's so much going on here. And we know that John is so intentional with the way he lays out detail and the way he paints a picture and the way he tells a story. He's choosing very intentional episodes of this story to present to us so that we may believe. And so we dig into here and we, we, we see what's going on and, and try to figure out what message God is giving us through the cross. The cross becomes the great sign that we have been waiting for throughout the entire gospel. The first half of John is all about the signs, the miracles that, that are pointing to the identity of who Jesus is. And now we get to the cross and this defines for us who Jesus is. We've been promised gifts in the earlier signs, and, and, and we get to the sign of the cross, and this is where the true gift for us is. And so since it was a sign, there's also the opportunity to reject the sign. Because to recognize a sign, you have to be walking in the light. And so you have to be walking in the light to recognize the cross of Jesus. And it's when we're walking in darkness that we can reject that sign. And so we see in the story of John and we see in the story of the church that people see the cross and they reject the sign of the cross because they continue to walk in darkness. And so there's, there's three themes here that really stand out as we, we think about the cross and, it's, and who it's identifying in the story that it's telling us. The first theme that we see here is, is Jesus the King. Jesus is King. Who is in control this entire story? Jesus. He's in control of his trial. He's in control of his arrest. He's in control of his crucifixion. He's the one who is is willfully giving himself up for this. He's on the cross and he's negotiating family matters with John and his mother. He's taking care of business. He's in control. Jesus is not a victim the way John tells the story. He's very much a willful participant in what's going on here. At multiple points throughout the Gospel of John, we hear the phrase, being lifted up. 
That's how John describes Jesus on the cross. Jesus is being lifted up, and in part, that is Jesus being lifted up for his glory and for the glory of God. He's also being physically lifted up on a cross. But there's more that's going on there as well. Remember last week in the, in the trial of Jesus, the soldiers get a hold of him and they, they craft this crown of thorns and place that crown of thorns on his head and they take this purple robe and they, they wrap this robe around Jesus. And this is Jesus' coronation ceremony. Jesus is being crowned king. He's given a robe and he's being presented to the people as the king. And then Pilate hands him over to be crucified. And what sign does he have placed on the cross? Here is Jesus, the accused of being king of the Jews. No. No, he says, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Pilate is giving his statement of affirmation to this title of Jesus. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And it's written in three languages. It's written in Greek and Latin and Aramaic. So the entire known world of the Mediterranean world would have been able to read this and see this. And it's in all of their native languages. It's in the language of the Greeks and Latin and Aramaic. All can see this. And so there's this message that says Jesus is the supreme monarch. Jesus is king. It sweeps over all other authority. There is a global king going on here. Jesus is king. And as a king, a king deserves a proper burial. And Jesus does not receive the burial of a servant. He doesn't receive a burial of a criminal. He receives a burial of someone very important. A wealthy man comes and provides an expensive tomb in a garden. This is not an everyday man's place to be buried. Religious leaders bring a tremendous amount of spices for this burial. Jesus is king. And he's receiving a king's burial. The other thing that we see in the cross is sacrifice. We see Jesus as king, and then we see him as sacrifice. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, Look, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. From the very beginning, John has been pointing to Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. The imagery here is unmistakable as, as you think of who Jesus is. John is very particular to, to talk about no broken bones. That, that Jesus' bones were not broken. And that's because a sacrificial lamb could not be brought if it had any broken bones. And so as a Jewish audience looks at this, they, they see the connections between the Passover lamb that has to, be, has to be a perfect lamb with no broken bones. And they, they see this parallel. They see this connection. And then they see Jesus carrying his own cross, which would immediately bring to mind the idea of 
someone else who had to carry the wood on his back for his own sacrifice, Isaac. And so as they're witnessing these events, they witness Pilate giving this endorsement of Jesus being king of the Jews, and they're, they're witnessing Jesus on the cross with no broken bones, carrying his own cross. There's this symbolism of sacrifice. And so we view Jesus as a sacrifice that, that covers sin. This is important to John and, and, and to his followers. So walking in the light means having the blood of Jesus as a cleansing of sin. So Jesus is our king. Jesus is also our sacrifice that brings us salvation. It brings to mind the Passover story where the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and they're freed from that slavery. The sacrificial lamb brings freedom, brings salvation. The last thing the cross points to is the Spirit. This is an interesting one that we, we don't tend to talk about much at the, at the time of crucifixion, but the Spirit is at work here. It's something that John has been pointing to throughout his gospel. But Jesus intentionally hands over his Spirit. The language here is the same as, as, as what we would talk about with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is handing over his spirit, and then when he is pierced in the side, what flows out of his body? Blood and water. And what do we see throughout John as a representative of the spirit flowing out? We see John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in water, and it is that moment that, that Jesus is anointed by the Spirit. We, we see the story of Nicodemus where Jesus describes the water and Spirit that brings new life. We see the, the story of the Samaritan woman who he promises to give life-giving water, that living water that symbolizes the Spirit. And then in Jesus' farewell discourse, there is an explicit promise of the Spirit coming but that coming of the Spirit is completely dependent upon Jesus leaving. Jesus says, I will leave, I have to leave, for the Spirit to come. And so on the cross, we see Jesus giving up his Spirit so that we can receive the Spirit. It's in the death of Jesus that the Spirit becomes free. The gift of Jesus is, is not merely a gift of salvation. It's not simply a, a, an act of, of salvation for us. John understands the, the gift of Jesus to be something more. It has to do with the transformation of of those who follow. It has to do with our renewal. And so Jesus is not just offering us forgiveness of sins. He's also offering us a new life, a new life that can be experienced here and now. And so it is in this moment of the cross that new creation is set into motion and we're able to be transformed into his likeness. 
It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just fire insurance for, for the afterlife. This is a gift for now. The cross tells us that Jesus is king, which gives us a certain, a certain responsibility, a certain role to play. If Jesus is king, then I am not. The cross gives us a sacrifice that is so important to the new life that we have. Because I am a mess. I'm sinful. I'm broken. And I need the blood of Jesus to wash over me and save me from my stupidity. But the cross also points to the Spirit that comes in and transforms us and gives us new life. And so when you look at the cross, what do you see? Do you see a simple piece of jewelry? Do you see something that is ornamental? What do you see when you see the old rugged cross? Is it something that you hold on to and cherish? The cross shows us that Jesus is king. The cross shows us the sacrifice, shows us the Spirit. And in the cross, we see the glory of God shining through. This is the hour. This is Jesus' moment when we see the awe-inspiring, indescribable presence of God breaking in. And so when we see that in the cross, it completely reshapes who we are and transforms who we are. We are now a cross-formed people. We are, we are people that are shaped by the cross. It defines who we are. It defines the life that we have. It defines the mission that we carry forward in. We are a people of the cross. And we have a new identity, an identity of light and life and truth that we see in Jesus hanging up on that wooden cross. And so I want us to finish our time together um, kind of jumping over into communion. And so if you are on the team to serve communion, if you want to go ahead and and head back and uh, get those trays ready for us. We're going to spend some time. Uh, what, what better communion medi meditation is there than spending this time looking at and focusing on the cross? And I, I love the way these, these messages have been, ha have been playing out for us to get more and more cross-focused, and we will become even more cross-focused next week as we gather around tables focused on the cross. But for today, I want you to spend a moment looking at the cross, 
literally, looking at the cross. And what do you see? Meditate on that for just a moment.